0: He is a... Talk to you about Exodus tonight, the book of Exodus. Exodus, uh, actually, the verse is uh 113, just one verse, and like I said before, don't get the idea because it's one verse is short. I'm actually going to read verse 6 through 14, but the emphasis verse is 13. I, I want to talk to you about an aspect of God that we do not like. Uh, when God is hidden. Um, every one of us have an imagination, an image, of what God ought to be like. It has been developed from a lot of sources. It's been developed from uh, your, your personality, your temperament. It's been developed from things you've read. It's been developed, of course, hopefully from the Bible. Uh, this is where I'm going at tonight because the only way to really know who God is is to know Him from the Bible. Uh, I heard people say on a regular basis, oh, well, God, God wouldn't do that, or that couldn't be of God, or a good God wouldn't do that. And they become judge. It's, it's an irony that an imperfect, sinful creature judges a perfect God. But we are arrogant. We are real arrogant. And yes, we will judge God. And yes, we will point a finger at God and say you're wrong. And here we are. we are just full of flaws, have very, very little small perspective. Uh, God sees the beginning and the ending, and there's just, you know, they're not gonna wrap your mind around God. And so I just trust him. It comes down to trust and obey. There's, there's really no other way to be happy in Jesus. Let me read here a few verses, and we'll look at the unexpected God, the unexpected God. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Of course, Egypt. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who knew not Joseph, and he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when they fall without any war, they join also unto their enemies and fight against us, so get them up out of the land. They didn't want them to leave. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters. To afflict them with their burdens. And they built the Pharaoh treasure cities of Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because the children of Israel. And this is a text verse. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. In mortar and brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. I realize this is not the message that's in the bulletin, so you back in the back there may be wondering what's going on. God wouldn't let me preach that, so I moved to something else that he wanted me to do. And here I'm going to do this tonight. The unexpected God. God led Joseph to Egypt. Do you believe that? I mean, you know the Bible, you know God led Joseph to Egypt through having him sold in slavery as a young man of about 17 years old. For 13 long, 13 long years, Joseph did not know the end of the story. See, we read it, and when we begin the story, we know the end, so we're good with it, right? He wasn't good with it. I mean, he didn't know the end of it. He didn't know. 17 years old, first of all, sold, sold by his brothers. I could, I could say a whole thing about it. I was the youngest of three. I think my brothers would have sold me. Sold by his brothers. Why? Because they were envious of him. Daddy, you know, had made him his favorite. That's the danger, I suppose, of making one kid a favorite. But uh, he'd made his favorite, and they had some dreams that they were going to serve him, and they didn't like all that. And they were really, really carnal. And uh, the Midianites came by, and they sold him. They were going to kill him. But they sold him. Imagine, the Bible says in Psalm, Joseph begged, begged them, begged them with tears not to do it. And they didn't listen to him. And they made up a story that he had been killed by a wild animal. And Jacob, of course, was grieved about this and broke the old boy's heart. For 13 long years, he's in prison mostly, in and out, betrayed, forgotten. A nobody, a nothing. Not even owns his own self. He's a slave. And God quickly turned that thing around for him. Boom! Came out of nowhere. Boom! Joseph then's promoted because he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He's promoted to the second authority of the land. Number two, right, just right under Pharaoh. That was it. Whatever Joseph said, people did. That was what, he went from a nobody and nothing in prison to being the guy giving the orders on what to do, how to do it, when to do it, running the whole show. Wow, I mean, that's a big leap in a short period of time. And we go to chapter 45 of Genesis. Let me read it for you. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that she sold me hither. This is uh, when there was a come-to-Jesus meeting with these brothers. Uh, If I'd have been the brother of Joseph, I'd have been worried. When I read through that passage, I don't blame them boys a bit for thinking they're going to lose their head when the old man dies. I'm thinking, you know, he's nice to us because of daddy, but as soon as daddy dies, he's going to to come take us, and he's going to tear us up because we did some horrible stuff to him. And so he has to clear that up with them. them, Don't be grieved or angry with yourself that she sold me hither. I reminded him of that. But the grip that he had on this is next to none. He and Daniel, by the way, the only two people in the Bible, no bad said about him. It says, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And in verse 7 of chapter 45, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. In chapter 50 and verse 20, but as for you, you thought evil against me. Again, he's talking to his brothers. But God meant unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, and to save much people alive. Jacob and his 11 sons were led to Egypt through terrible, terrible economics. Depression, really, a famine, which created a depression that, that threatened their lives. A total their family at that point was just 75 souls, including Joseph's family, with the sum of all the… that was the sum of all Israel at that time, 75 people. But God had a plan, and He was executing that they did not understand much of. Israel prospered and multiplied when they got into the land, began to take over the nation… Pharaoh had given them a land of Goshen, a land literally flowing with milk and honey, the best part of Egypt. He gave them because of Joseph. But then the Bible says that Joseph died and all those people who knew Joseph and all the, all the extenuating circumstances, and things changed dramatically for the children of Israel. It says, God, and if I may say it this way, the Bible says Egypt set over them taskmasters, but I'm going to say God set over them taskmasters to afflict them. See, whether you and I can appreciate it or not, God isn't too far away from a drill sergeant. In other words, my dad, when he went to a, well, he was a boxer and he was in great shape when he went in the Marine Corps. But when he got into boot camp, he said, that man was mean. He said, my drill sergeant was mean to me. Take his underwear, throw him on the ground in front of everybody else, put his foot on him and say, you do him, wash him again. He said, Nobody did that to me. Nobody. And uh, he he uh, he had to really get get under a grip on himself under that. And he said, that, But when he when he when he went to the um, when he was in the LST going towards the island of Saipan and Tinian, he said, I thank God for everything that drill sergeant ever did for me, ever taught me. The obedience and discipline that he taught me. But it wasn't fun, and I have to say that what God's going to do for you, and what God did, what God has is, is had or has already, if I may say, did for the children of Israel, was not happy time. You know, we live in a generation almost that the the idea of God is if, if things are good and prosperous, and you're in good health, then God's pleased with you. But if things are not that way and things go the other way, then God must be mad at you. That's just not so, necessarily. It could be that you've done something wrong and you're being chastised. That could be. But not all the time, for sure. And this definitely teaches us that. I believe God, and I know it's so because I'll read the statement for you a little bit later, sent the children of Israel, those 75 souls, down to Israel. Egypt, to make of them a great nation. Now, that sounds good, and I think the first, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of the whole thing was probably great, phenomenal. You know, they went from being vagabonds, living in tents, going to the land of Goshen, the best land of Egypt. They had the best of everything until Joseph died, and all those who knew Joseph, and this new guy comes up, and his attitude for us, we're going to put you folks under Hard physical labor so that you don't rise up. You don't have time to think politically, you don't have time to rise up and against us or to leave. The word rigor is interesting. It means severity. It also has a meaning of cruelty. To break apart and to fracture is the denotative meaning of it. The connotative meaning is just to be cruel or hard or harsh doesn't that somewhat tear down the image you have of God? That God himself would do this to his people? Does that contradict the God you have in your mind? But I'm going to tell you, understanding this side of God will will help you through life. It will at least make sense of a lot of things That'll not only happen in your life, but it happened in those around you that call themselves born-again Christians. How can you reconcile a Christian couple that loves Jesus, that that far as you know is doing the will of God, their little three-year-old child drowning in a pool? How do you reconcile that? How do you make sense? A Christian that loves Jesus doing the right thing, coming down with debilitating diabetes or that eventually blinds him and cripples him, possibly losing his toes and his foot and his leg. These are real, by the way. These aren't fictitious. Or how about as a born-again Christian, a lovely couple that loves Jesus, dedicated their heart to him, the husband gets sick and dies, and the woman's left alone alone to spend the rest of her life alone, 35 years alone. She spent alone almost as much time as she was married. That's a long time, eh, amen? It makes sense of the young man, the lovely Christian couple getting married and his dear wife contracting ovarian cancer and withering away right in front of his eyes and dying. It makes sense that you and I will never be able to outguess God and what he's doing. But everything that happens in your life and my life, he's doing it to help us. If you're you're not obedient and and, 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 in rebellion and he chastises you, it's for your good. When my dad spanked me, it was for his good. He used to say, son, I'm doing this for your good. And I'm being, <laughs> I don't want to. He used to say, it hurts me, son, more than it hurts you. No, no, dad, it don't. Until I, until I had my own child and started spanking him. And there, A child goes through a period of time where you have to spank him a lot. I mean a lot. You have to spank him sometimes 10 times a day. I've had parents in this church call me up crying and say, is it normal that I would spank my child? That may yes, it's normal. You're not spanking him hard enough, or you could reduce that to half. Quit playing Patty Cake, Patty Cake Baker's Man, and give him a serious old-fashioned country whipping, and he probably won't want more than five, more than five a day. But you got a stubborn kid, acts like your wife. I mean, what in the world? I told my wife, what did we do? We birthed this child so we could whip him? I felt bad about it, but he just kept not wanting to obey verbal command. you got to get your kid convinced that it's smarter to obey verbal command than not. And all the parents said, amen, brother. We won't accept your child in our school unless they can obey verbal command. They're not fit to have a job unless they can obey verbal command. They're not fit to live with anybody out here in in society unless they can obey verbal command. But boy, it's not an easy task. Some more than others. You know, my wife never was spanked. I guess she just listened. That's amazing, huh? But God's doing something bigger than what you and I can see is what I'm trying to get at and this understanding of god makes sense of a guy like peter morris who was a missionary when he first came here man peter was one of the, one of the best soul winners he was epitome of health he was a, he's a he was a good he's a good looking man he was he was a he was australian and he was, he was whimsical had a whimsical personality uh, was a charismatic personality he was a soul winner he loved jesus he got married He went to be a missionary. When he was at my house, he said to me, he says, you know, I just got a blood test, and I'm really low on platelets. And I go, oh, no. Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill said, brother, you're what? He says, well, I'm anemic and low on platelets. I said, oh, no. He had leukemia, acute leukemia. That's short term and ended up having a bone marrow transplant oh don't act like a bone marrow transplant is a cure a bone marrow transplant may keep you alive but you're alive with a whole lot of misery you got all kinds of host problems of sores in your mouth sores in your throat sores oh my oh my they got to give you immune depressive drugs suppressive drugs and it's just brother if they ask me to get a bone marrow transplant I'm going to tell you ahead of time no No. But that old boy is in Kenya right now, sick as he is, and he is sickly. When you have that happen, you're sickly for the rest of your life. And if you have a life, I suppose, right? But he's sickly. He's over there. Knowing a little bit about God, in this manner at least, you just trust that maybe God's doing something that couldn't be done in my life any other way, and consequently, you don't get bitter at God. Otherwise, you're going to be tempted because the devil's on the left shoulder always. The devil on your left shoulder is going to go, you know, God's not treating you fair. I should have little puppets. God's not treating you fair. You know, God's not, you know, look at old so-and-so. He didn't have a problem. He hasn't had a problem. Look at you. What's the deal? Well, God's not really good. You know, I told you God wasn't good. You know God's good. Look at Joseph. Look at his life. Look at how he responded. Had Joseph gotten bitter and got in prison, do you think you'd ever heard of his name? Other than knowing it was one of the children of Jacob, that's all you'd ever known. But he didn't get bitter. He trusted the goodness of God. I can't tell you how important this is tonight. This is life-changing, direction-changing, Because you don't have a clue, and I don't have a clue, what God's going to use to grow you. But I know this, that in Egypt, he sent those 75 people down there, groomed to about two and a half million people, and he did it because he was nation building, but he didn't do it with ease. He didn't do it with prosperity. He did it with rigor, service. Rigor in service. Now they ate well. They st- remember they said, oh, we, we remember Egypt when we were sat by the flesh pots and we had our garlic and our chives and, you know, whatever they ate bread. And then they bread to the full. And they would think back about that. They were eating, they were eating angel's food. What was angel's food? Like them hot Donuts down the road. No one could have ever guessed what happened to the children of Israel in Egypt. You, don't, you wouldn't have had a clue. Every time they heard the whip crack, it was God. Every time they felt the load of the heavy bricks on their backs, it was God. Every time they sensed the sting of the burn of the hot desert sun, it was God. Every time their tongues swelled, from unrelenting thirst, it was God. Every time they saw their wives forced to find straw out in the hot sun all day long wandering in the fields because the Egyptians didn't want to give it to them because they wanted them to stay busy, it was God. Every time they fell into bed at night absolutely and totally exhausted and sore and burnt just to face another day of exactly the same or worse It was God. It was God. He was nation building. You know, if I may say it this way good things, really good things, do not come easy. They do not come without blood, sweat, and tears. This was good in disguise. I go back a little bit in time to Jacob in Exodus in uh, Genesis 46:3, and God said that Jacob, when he was getting ready to go down, had found out his son was alive. The wagons had come from the and he believed finally that his son was alive, and he wanted. You know, he he was. I, I got to give it to Jacob. He was kind of slow about going to Egypt. Egypt's a type of the world all through the Bible. And God said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. A truth is that the very thing we hate the most and want to avoid the most, suffering, labor, sorrow, were the very ingredients God used to make them strong. while well, the Egyptians were in there, were laying in their uh, uh, lawn chairs, uh, looking at the beautiful day, and the, and the uh, Israelites were out there lifting bricks and working, and, 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 if I may say, going to the gym all day long, every day. And the Egyptians were getting soft, they were getting hard. While, they were, while, the, while the Israelites were getting used to suffering and used to working their way through it and understanding, understanding the, the benefit of it, the Egyptians were more and more trying to avoid it. While the Egyptians were getting weaker, Israel was getting stronger. Ease never did anybody any good. It makes you overweight, out of shape, soft, short of breath, susceptible to disease, intolerant of change, makes you a whiner, sissy boy, good for nothing but to consume things on yourself, a spoiled, pampered, powdered, two-bit, no good. out of shape. It's amazing to me that there are are, such things in our society called gyms, clubs. I have had so many invitations to join a gym. And I always ask my wife, why would I ever pay anybody to force me to be miserable? But we're so lousy, lazy, that we literally have to pay somebody to motivate us to quit eating so much and to exercise more and to press ourselves and to make our bodies hurt so that we get the benefit of being in good shape. Boy, there's a big benefit in being in good shape. Big benefit. Ask any doctor, right? Ask any doctor, look how good a shape Pastor Crab's in. You want to come up here and show him? This guy is lean, mean, fighting machine, that guy over there. I'm telling you, he's 80 years old. You, don't, you may not know this about Pastor Crabb. He's a championship golfer. I wouldn't golf with him. You know that for sure. All he'd ever tell me was, you need professional help. You don't have a Daniel without rigor. You don't have an Ezra without rigor. You don't have a Moses without rigor. You don't have a Paul the Apostle without rigor. God is wanting to build something great in you and through you. But he has to prove you, just like he proved them. The Bible says he proved them with manna in Exodus 16.4. Bible says he proved them at Sinai with fire, Exodus 20, 20. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8, 2, he proved them 40 years in the wilderness. In Judges 2, he proved them with nations around them. He says, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations with Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the right Well, they'll keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. I don't believe you're going to live this Christian life and escape God's rigor. It's going to come in some way, some form, some shape. And when it does, understand, He's doing something for you that you'd never do for yourself. Never. When I got cancer at 28 years old, I can guarantee you, I would have never done that to myself when I had started getting migraines at 40, I'd have never done that to myself. When I got the gout there shortly thereafter, I was at one-two punch. I'd have never done that to myself. But as I look back on that, I see how, many, how close that drew me, how spiritually challenged it helped me. He proved me to see what I'd do under stress, what I'd do in the battle, that's why, a, that's why a drill sergeant does what they do in their, in their training. They press those men out of measure. They purposefully don't let them sleep much. Let them sleep three, four, five hours. Get them up early. Get them tired. 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 Because they want, they want to see what their breaking point is. They want, because in, in real combat, they aren't going to be able to have a nap when they want to or go to sleep when they want to. And they want to be able to see a, a person that's willing to go through that. And overcome it. And they want to wash out those who can't before the battle. And God in some measure is doing that to you and to me. How will you react to God's rigor? How will you react? Are you here tonight in the midst of some rigor? There are people here tonight in the midst of the rigor of God. Betty Lou She was in the midst of rigor tonight, but she just trusted How sweet she is, Betty Lou Gordon, how sweet she is. You know, that woman, you probably have no idea how much pain she's, she's suffering, and you'll go to her, and she'll put a smile on her face, and all God's good. And I think, man, Lord, I want to be like that, but I don't want the back pain. He says, oh, Bill, but you're not, you're not going to get it. Like Betty Lou, unless you got to go through some of the stuff she's gone through. The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken brokenness. There's a book that came out in 1950 called The Calvary Road. How many here have read The Calvary Road? Hmm. You ought to read it. If you haven't read it, you oh, you literally. If you don't get anything out of tonight, but that you heard about the book The Calvary Road and you went and got it and read it. Trust me when I tell you this, it'll be worth coming tonight. It'll be worth coming for all year. But the man talks in there, and really, it's nothing new. But it's just the way he puts it. The Calvary Road is a road of brokenness. The road to God is a road of humility. And it is a road, and if I may say, a trail of tears. But it's a sweet, sweet place to be. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because at the end of this whole thing, when God has used you and broken you and tried you, and he gets to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of thy Lord. It's going to be a sweet day. When I think of the children of Israel, and how God treated them. By the way, that went on for 350 years. That wasn't just a little short. They were there totally 430 years, probably more than 350 years. Now, you know the history of America. We're not that old, are we? But 350 years that went on. You know, God, one thing beautiful about God is we're so impatient, but He's patient. We say, Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. He's going on. Oh, 50 years from now, I'll do something. With them building a the nation, I thought it would be 100 years. Give them 100 years, build a nation. No. No, 430 years. And most of that time, they were under bondage as slaves to Egypt. But man, when God came and, re- and drove, and if, and if I may say demonstrated to them his power, no nation under heaven ever has seen the ten miracles and more that those people got to see. They got to see God up on the mountain of Sinai in, in the form of fire, of consuming, devouring fire on the top of that mountain. They got to walk across the Red Sea and look at the water piled up on both sides of them on dry land. They got to eat manna every day and quail at night. They got to wear clothes for, for, for years and never have them wore out, their shoes never wore out on their feet. They got to see fire by night and a cloud by day. They got to see the ten greatest miracles that have ever been done. They got to see the greatest nation in the world, uh, the most powerful military nation in the world, the bodies of their soldiers floating up on shore totally and absolutely defeated. <clears throat> There's great reward with those who are willing to trust God. But you've got to hunker down. Just like you have to do in the gym. And you have to say, it is worth it. It is worth it to trust God. And to work under rigor if he brings it into your life. Father, help us tonight to be able to see you in this way. Forgive us where we have sometimes developed a distorted view of an imaginary God that does not exist. But this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that, because Jesus was going to become sin for us, it says in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. This is the God that stood back and allowed the soldiers to mock and to spit upon and to slap and to hit, the Roman soldiers to scourge, to lay the Christ, the Lamb of God on the cross and pull His shoulders out of joint and nail His two hands to the cross and feet, drop Him into the hole, mocking Him the whole time, throwing Dice for his clothes. Because you had it, the sacrifice for our sins had to be a real sacrifice. It couldn't be a partial sacrifice. Nothing could be held back. Your justice indeed had to be served on our sin, which was laid upon him. It was real. Thank you, Father. For not holding back on your son as he took my sin. So that I could go free and have my sins forgiven because of what he did for me. Father, how much love is that? Help us to love you back, to serve you, to pass the tests of life as they're put in front of us. To trust you all the way home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.